Welcome to this week's edition of Freightonomics, where we discuss the macroeconomic environment and combine it with that freight market intelligence that we so often uh, discuss here at FreightWaves. So I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence here at FreightWaves, and here with me as always... Anthony Smith. The lovely Anthony Smith, our lead economist and other title that I can't <laughs> pronounce. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, on today's show, we're going to discuss, you know, we've got a few signs that the economy might be turning a little bit. Now, we're going to dive into a deeper detail on what it means, how long, like, are we starting to see that, have we seen the peak, what it's going to, what the fallout's going to mean for anybody in the transportation sector? Uh, you know, I think that's the big question is, and, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week with, uh, with the Rogers boys. Uh, but we're going to break it down a little bit because things have changed a little bit. You know, it's a new week. I don't know if you noticed this, Anthony, but every week something new happens. <laughs> it is, but you know what's weird is like headlines are starting to change a little bit more because before like we always saw these different crazy headlines like, whoa, can you believe this is happening? Mm -hmm. Now I feel like headlines are getting back to that place where we're just like, why is this in the news? <laughs> and why are people upset about that? So I feel like headlines are changing. Every week's a new week. New things matter. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting to see the way that, you know, the pandemic has changed society permanently in a lot of ways. But then in some ways, it's it really hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things that were, uh, you know, some of the ways that appear to be semi-permanent, at least for the time being, is that supply chains uh, are more often than not headlines nowadays because consumers want their goods. And if yeah. I'm sitting out there and I'm not getting my Amazon order on a, in a timely manner or I'm going to the store, Walmart or Home Depot or whatever it is, and I don't find the product I need because we, we're spoiled as a society. Let's yeah. just call it what it is. <laughs> we're spoiled. We have been, you know, really conditioned to expect our goods to be where they are, to meet our demands as soon as we need them. Uh, and that's been broken uh, a little bit over the last bit. So therefore, supply chains have become a, uh, a hot topic, a hot button item. We don't see the the financial sector's kind of taken a back seat a little bit, you know, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think you, you raise a great point. It's like transportation and the supply chain is like, it's it's newsworthy yeah. and people care about it. I mean, it kind of started off with the Suez, 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 Suez <laughs> Canal um, not too long ago. That kind of made memes and all this other stuff. But the thing is, people, like you said, people are spoiled. They want their stuff. They ordered their Amazon goods yesterday. They want it today. And... I think I've said this on other shows, people are getting to the point where they don't care anymore. Right. They don't care about your supply chain issues. They don't care that we're at the tail end of a pandemic. They don't care that we just went through all this. They want their stuff now. We have short memories as consumers, and that's what really matters. And I think that's really going to be the attitude, I think, moving forward to the second half of this year. Yeah, I, I think it's a marketing strategy that's been actually emergent uh, as the internet has become a stronger thing, where you kind of put it out there that the supply is limited. You know, like you have to act now or supplies will be gone. They do it all the time. It's pretty clever. And there's something in your psyche that's very competitive. You know, it's that that primal instinct to go out there and provide or get the, the things you need before somebody else gets to it. Uh, and I think that's the society we're living in right now. I think that, you know, especially on the supply chain side, you see these shippers. We saw the winter weather event really inspire these companies to go out and pre-order a bunch of goods and try to book as much capacity as they were in this process of slowly settling back. Yeah. Uh, you know, we saw things start to stabilize somewhat 
Uh, and, you know, I don't know how long this will persist. I mean, eventually, do people just stop caring? I don't think so. <laughs> I think they'll, uh, you know, still have this kind of momentum behind them about like, well, they're always going to care if something that they somewhat want has a limited availability. We saw it with a gas shortage of Thursday, May 10th or whatever it was, uh, you know, in the Southeast specifically, as people rush to go get something, they may not have necessarily needed at that point. And I think it kind of goes back to that point you just made about people, the new society that we live in and the, t the type of mindset. So that whole gas rush mm -hmm. it was reminiscent of the toilet paper shortage. Yeah. And it's like we all realized that no one needed walls and walls of toilet paper in their garages, basements, bedrooms, wherever you might have been storing attics. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the case. People still rushed for it anyway. And that that pandemonium mindset just kind of keeps it persists, even though we as a society know. And maybe it's because it's exciting. Maybe it's because, you know, we didn't get to have our Black <laughs> Friday last year. And now all this excited momentum is just kind of this is the outlet. Yeah, and it's almost like a purge in a sense of <laughs> I got to get my stuff. But we saw that, like you said, with the gas. And I think that's going to be a thing to come with anything that might be a slight shortage. Let's run it up. And I think we've seen that, like you said, with manufacturers, suppliers, builders, home builders with um, that yep. are putting up homes are rushing to buy appliances because after these homes go up, there's appliances that it might be delayed or on back order to after the home actually gets built with this expensive lumber which is down 20% out of, you know, the 300% rise <laughs> is going to be now let's furnish these homes with appliances, mm -hmm. but the appliances are on back order. So that mindset, I think, is kind of permeating throughout the, the country. But I think one of the big things about COVID is that it exposed a lot. I don't think it really caused issues in the supply chain, but it exposed a lot of issues in the supply chain. I think it's going to rework a lot of people's thinks or thoughts. I should say thanks. Rework, <laughs> rework a lot of people. You just thoughts. created a new a new slang term. <laughs> That's the word of the day. Yeah, thanks. Um, just like feels became a word. Feels. <laughs> I thinks. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people are going to have to rework the way they conceive or kind of operate around just in time. I mean, having some excess inventory on hand just in case there is a disruption. Yeah, flexibility and supply chains, obviously a thing that everybody is really working towards. But, you know, we, we will see if this bear wakes up uh, a little bit. Uh, right now, it feels like everybody's still kind of in that I got to go get mine mode. Um, we'll discuss this a little bit, but that point about the lumber, we'll dive into that here in a minute. But up first, we have our meme anomics for the memes of the week. <laughs> So we do this segment now because of my love for memes. Uh, it's kind of like my way of understanding society <laughs> uh, or the world as it as it spins. These are great. They're funny. Uh, they're and they're be hieroglyphics. Yeah, they're basically, you know, when our society collapses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, they'll be, oh, man, this society, I understand why it collapsed now. <laughs> um, so the first one up, uh, this one has to do with, you know, the stimulus checks and employment. Um, you know, uh, the sign here was, you know, they're basically, this is a brewing company, uh, don't know where they are, but they say stimulus checks paid every two weeks apply within not great grammar, but Monday, uh, you know, and that's, that's kind of the idea here is the, a lot of these white collar jobs still struggling to get employment, the driver recruiting situation, the worst it's probably ever been, um, you know, with government stimuluses <laughs> being, 
uh, still kind of funding some of the this unemployment and people are hesitant to get back to work. And of course, some people, it's not that they're just sitting on the couch doing nothing. They found other stuff to do while the employment was not there. Yeah. Uh, but the service economy is now starting to ramp back up, as you can clearly see here. A lot of these people moved on to other things. I kind of pushed them out of the restaurant space as this is, you know, considered the, the you know, probably a server job or, or something like that. And it's, you know, endemic of what we're seeing, mm-hmm. <laughs> like across all industries and spaces. And it's, right. it's going to have an impact to our economy in general, whether you're in freight or you're not. Like this is, this is a real thing. Uh, you know, as these people may choose to go back to work in the same spaces or may not. It's going to have an impact to freight or, you know, whatever you're doing uh, down the line. Yeah. I mean, that that meme that you just had up, it speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. And so it's yes, it's funny. It's kind of an exaggeration (laughs) of, yeah, stimulus checks every two weeks. But the (laughs) fact of the matter is, is like there are so many openings right now Mm -hmm. and there is this huge need for labor. Nine point three million, I think, was the last report that was put out as of April from the BLS. And that showed that there is this huge need for labor across the board, as you mentioned, manufacturing, hospitality, retail. There's also a huge turnover, voluntary separations. The quit rate is high, well over 2%, I believe, right now, showing that people are voluntarily leaving, leaving, feeling confident about their prospects getting back into the workplace or with a new position. And so when we're looking at that, that means that wages aren't just enough right now. Right. There needs to be other incentives. People have adapted to a new type of life, a new lifestyle altogether, where that might be working remotely. Childcare is a big one that's popping up all the time. Uh, what am I supposed to do with my kids now? I've been able to kind of be here, monitor them, you know, uh, be their handler. I don't, I don't know much about kids. But <laughs> I, 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 can, I can speak to that one. That one's difficult, like especially since a lot of these places didn't, don't have childcare workers anymore and people are going back to the office. There's a lot of, I mean, Traffic's back. Yeah. <laughs> People are getting out there and, and going back to work again. Some percentage will go back full time into the office, uh, you know, and that's already happened. But some of these industries are lagging. Uh, you know, they're slow to come back online. And that's where those white collar jobs really come into play is, you know, you need both to have, you know, both sectors of the economy humming. You can't go back to work fully if you can't do something with your kids. Yeah. You know, anyway, the next meme, uh, this one's topical uh, for this week. We've got the forklift. (laughs) And of course, this is a reference to dad jokes everywhere. Uh, This is literally a forklift lifting a fork (laughs) because it is a forklift. And of course, Joe Rogan just losing it. Joe Rogan uh, (laughs) meme where he's, you know, his mind's blown in the ultimate uh, fighter uh, arena there. Uh, I had to give a shout out to the dads out there this week. It is Father's Day weekend, U.S. Open. Coming in line, well, you know. I'm glad you explained this to me because I wasn't sure what I was looking at. at yeah. <laughs> that explains why I don't know. Well, the dock workers, you know, people in freight, they have forklifts. Yeah, it, lifting forks. I laughed. I got a dad it's chuckle. Funny. Out it's of funny. It. I just needed to explain to me. I don't. The dad joke. Yeah. Okay. It's I'm not there yet. Ever. Dad joke. Ever. Yeah. yeah. Maybe one day. We'll no. Get there. Uh, so <laughs> the next meme. Uh, this one is more uh, relevant to the show itself. So this is going to be the uh, you know a meme about you know the I don't know what you call this guy with his like side shave and that long hair uh, on top. It's kind of out of date now. That haircut's kind of gone. The, wait, the is that the undercut with the lumberjack beard? Yeah, it's like kind of the hipster guy mm-hmm. with his with his girl. So parents in their twenties. My parents in their twenties. Let's buy this house and have three children. Me in my twenties. 
sitting on a computer. <laughs> Rubber alone. <laughs> yeah, not really doing anything. Now, I, I like this meme for one reason, and that's the fact that, no kidding, <laughs> yeah. me in my 20s uh, right now, can you afford a house <laughs> at this point in your, in your 20s? I mean, you have to. Hard. Dude, well, I mean. Because also back then, you could work part-time job or full-time summer jobs, pay for your semester or yeah. your entire year of college. Yeah. And that's a big thing. And I won't go into a rant. Maybe this will be a topic for another freight. No, econ lately. Oh. About mm -hmm. why college maybe shouldn't be a thing for everybody. You know? Right. Or, Interesting. You know, it's there's oh, so hot many take. trades out there. Oh, give us a hot take. There's so many <laughs> trades out there. Like the majority of millionaires, I don't think even are operating within the field that they went to school for or even went to school. There's so many millionaires that are working trades and there's so many opportunities for these trades to be profitable, especially for those aging workforces. You have baby boomers, you have Gen Xers that are looking to pass some of these experiences on, especially the baby boomers. Yep. They're retiring like hotcakes. And now we're looking at this growing portion of the economy of trades <laughs> that are in dire need that no one wants to do because they're being forced to think that they have to go to art school for $80,000 a year, which... If that's your thing and you want to do it, that's great. But if it's not really your thing, you're just feeling pressure to do it and you don't know what you really want to do, that's rough. You might be better off running your own business. Well, I, I think I think that's also uh, you know up to the motivation motivating factors for doing that. Businesses want college grads when yeah. they put it out there on the on the job application. So as long as the businesses are putting it out there that they require those those grads, you know, there's especially when you're talking about trades. Yeah. You are specializing in a trade. You, for me, like knowing what you want to do when you're 18, mm -hmm. I don't know what I want to do at 40. <laughs> yeah. You know, like well, I think well, the thing is with trades, at least it's not that big of a commitment. Like mm -hmm. you like, hey, I went to trade school. I learned, you know, the plumbing or welding or anything like yeah. that. I'm a mechanic. It's not like a huge dump of resources right. or, or, you know, so it's in, plus you learn a new skill. Now you're a little bit more handy, a little bit more useful. Marketable like skills. All I can't you, do anything around the house. All you know. young folk out there just getting going, get the marketable st skills. Doesn't have to be a trade. It's learning Excel. It's learning, uh, you know, freight economics. <laughs> Excel's a big one. I yeah. didn't realize how much I would need to use Excel in the workplace. Excel, so coding, of course, is a big hot thing now. Your parent, All the parents are sending their kids to coding camps. Uh, which is good because it teaches logic. It's math, basically. I think another big thing but, is building out your personal brand. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that more and more, especially with social media. You have Instagram, of course, Everybody's TikTok. Gotta. And I think throughout the pandemic, people are learning how to build their personal brands, market themselves. Everyone wants to be this huge content creator, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on TikTok, mm -hmm. or whatever the next social media platform is going to be that blows up. But people are learning more and more how to make themselves marketable. And I think that's going to be a big thing that people are going to have to compete with, especially with resumes already being so hard as what they were, right. kind of like trying to get your resume to the top of the pile. But making your own personal brand and kind of branching out on your own and kind of mm -hmm. differentiating yourself, I think it's going to be a whole new evolution in that whole process of kind of getting your foot in the door. Yeah. And that foot in the door is so key when you're in your 20s uh, so you can get that house when you're maybe in your 40s, <laughs> you know, if <laughs> price inflation lucky. keeps going like it's going. Uh, but let's transition out of the memes and hit about the news of the day with Newsonomics. Newsonomics. So we have some pretty big stories this week, in my opinion, Anthony Smith. Uh, this first one here is, uh, you know, the FedEx situation. If you were watching Freightways Now this morning, you heard Eric Coolidge, the, art, uh, the person that wrote this article, um, talking about how FedEx is dumping customers, uh, essentially, in a, not necessarily saying, hey, you're fired. 
but they're basically saying reducing service, increasing prices. This is not new in the LTL space. Uh, FedEx simply, it's, it's relatively new to FedEx to do it on this scale. Yeah. Uh, over 1,400 customers uh, were basically told that the trucks are not going to show up uh, at their doorstep as they used to be, uh, you know, in the past years. Uh, so this is a this is a way for them to basically kind of eliminate some of that freight that doesn't necessarily mix well. Uh, it might be low paying freight or low density freight, which can be profitable, cannot be depending on the routes that it's on. But this is an interesting section. Uh, to really talk about here because, you know, some of the big retailers, they think they're, they're immune to it. They think that this is, you know, we've got clout with FedEx or, or whoever. Um, and, it, you know, especially the ones that are paying their own freight bills to get it to the Home Depot. This is going to be like the Home Depots or their, you know, Lowe's or, you know, Walmarts or whatever. This, if they don't pay the freight, <laughs> you know, the, the big box stores don't pay the freight, then that means the consumers do or the, uh, the suppliers do, and that's a common practice. And they're the ones that are going to get left out, you know, especially if they can't get some stuff. So it's not just about the little guys sitting out there and some of these, uh, you know, with some of this irregular route freight that they have. This is going to have a long-term tail impact uh, to, uh, to the big guys as well. And just another example of where we're going to see some price inflation. Yeah, um, People are going to have to fork over the money so these carriers can overcome the cost burden of driving into the hinterlands of Michigan <laughs> to go pick up freight uh, because it costs a whole lot of money. Uh, and I think you're going to see some creativity here. Yeah. So what you're saying from this article is that anybody can get it set. Anybody can get cut. Anybody. And so, I mean, one of the things that I, I really liked from one of the other articles covering here, covering this topic here at FreightWaves was like the elephant memories that are going to be involved with this. And when it comes the pendulum always swings in different ways. And so when the pendulum swings back, is there going to be some kind of petty behavior of like, hey, I remember what you guys did to me? Or do you think it will be something like, hey, I get it. Business is business. It was unfortunate and it happened, but let's continue to move forward. Ah, they're going to remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they always do. Uh, having been in LTL pricing most of my career, um, yeah, you... When you do make the decision to cut a customer, you really are making a long-term decision. Um, uh, you know, it's it's not about, you know, obviously FedEx is. I, I get why they did it yeah. in terms of the they have to they have a problem now. They cannot service everyone all at once. So instead of losing their customers uh, because of service failures, uh, you know, having eighty percent of them feel the pain, they cut you know a certain percentage of them that really were high cost anyway. It's kind of like one or the other. You can't have them both. They don't have the capacity to uh, to go out and drive, you know, 500 miles out of route <laughs> yeah. uh, to go pick up some of this freight. And I'm exaggerating for effect there. But uh, the bottom line is that LTL cannot cannot add capacity, even if they could add capacity like a truckload carrier that would still be a few months away before they could. But it's even the longer trend line. And they address this or Eric addresses this in the article about how LTL providers have to, you know, it's more about getting into an area with a hub and spoke dynamic. So it's multiple drivers, multiple trucks, a brick and mortar station that you have to go and, and commit to. Knowing this density, this freight density is probably not going to persist in the long run. That is an insanely, that's a lot more, that's a lot heavier equipment than going out and buying a 53 foot trailer and a, and a you know, a class eight truck. Yeah. 
So I, I totally understand the business decision here. The, the customers are going to, I mean, they're going to find ways around this. Uh, there's going to be people. I think some of these niche carriers out there, these regional guys, are going to pick up the slack in certain ways. I'm sure brokers are going to have a field day as well. Brokers, um, I, I, you know. They're, they're already kind of. I don't know if I'd call it a field day. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I really envy those guys, uh, you know, hammering the phones right now, uh, you know, with service failures going all over yeah. the place. But, uh, yeah, this is this is a big story. It's, it's and again, reflective of our times. Uh, Capacity is just not there right now. Uh, the pendulum. When it swings back the other direction, <laughs> yeah. you know, my, my question and my question to, uh, to Dale Rogers last week was, are we going to see this pendulum swing back even harder uh, than before? I don't know the answer to that question, but it's certainly something we're going we're gonna to talk about here in a little bit. So next story uh, of the day is going to be the retail sales uh, supportive of freight flows. Uh, Todd Maiden got this one. Uh, during May, uh, you know, money spent at, uh, you know, some services increased significantly. There's a little bit of a retraction uh, off the growth that it was, but you're still seeing all-time record highs, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, so we did see that there was a 1.3% downward movement in the most recent month of data. Yeah. But we saw essentially, I was impressed with not this most recent report, but last report. And so last report showed that there was a flat line. Essentially, it matched the month prior. So three months ago, I'm using a lot of different months here, <laughs> but three months ago, it matched that stat. Right. You know, essentially, so it remained flat. And mm -hmm. so 0% month for month gain, but the month prior was still very high. And so I was impressed because that month prior, three months ago, we had a stimulus check that hit Americans' pockets and that spiked up retail sales. And so right. that was expected. What I didn't expect was those results to remain elevated. And so that's what they did. They remained elevated for two months, back-to-back -back months, off of one check. We I didn't expect that, but now we see a downward movement. I think oh, that's reasonable to see that downward movement after that stimulus check hits and we see those two consecutive months and it's only down 1.3% from that stimulus check high. So I'm not calling, you know, the, mm -hmm. you're not calling the, the top yet, a huge reversal yet. We might be at a peak. I wouldn't mm -hmm. be surprised if this is the peak and we're living through it right now. I think we might be at the peak for manufacturing and we're just going to see a, a bit of a hovering and tapering off. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is a peak, but coming up later on in just a few days, Amazon Prime. So that might give another bump for this month's results. Yeah, you make a really good point there with Amazon Prime Day being earlier than yeah. normal, uh, or obviously earlier than last year, which was in October. But uh, yeah, here in a few days, we've got Amazon Prime, which may, I mean, I can't imagine having much more of a strong impact yeah. than, it, than we're already seeing. And again, what about these consumers that, you know, you don't, You've been ordering these goods for so long. Is there is there a pent up demand for this day uh, sitting there? Is there any pressure waiting to be released, especially when they know that I may not get my stuff as fast as I I want it to be here? Mm. Like there's no real motivating factor. Like Prime Day and later in the year, it's kind of been this thing where you kind of take advantage of sales and whatnot. Well, people have been in that mode like overheated spending mode for a long time now in yeah. terms of durable goods. So my question is just how big of an impact that one's going to have. Uh, the last story of the day. Now, this one to me is uh, tremendous. Home Depot bought the boat. <laughs> they know, got a boat. We, we, they bought a boat. Uh, you know, this is crazy. Uh, you know, especially considering that'd be like, uh, you know, you're, they're really chartering the boat, but it's... Uh, 
the fact that they're going to control capacity on the on this boat uh, without containers, <laughs> yeah. essentially. Like, I mean, of course, they're going to be able to find some containers, but it's it's so strange to me to think that capacity is this tight that they have to charter an entire ship to get freight into the United States. And again, it's going to get to the ports and not be offloaded quickly. <laughs> uh, you've got container shortages. It's really only one aspect of the overall process that is not being, you know, that's going to have all these congested throughputs. Yeah. Um, and then it's got to get on a truck <laughs> or the rail. They're mm -hmm. all congested too. So they've really only addressed one aspect of this whole thing. <laughs> I mean, the loading aspect is still an issue. The offloading aspect is still an issue. And the containers, the yeah. stuff that the stuff is in is still an issue. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that Home Depot definitely made some, you know, financial analysis here to, to figure out how to meet these and demands. And thought this through. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, Hopefully. I mean, I'm not the financial analyst for, uh, for Home Depot by any means. And they obviously have more information than me. But I would love to see this one drawn out. Yeah, on paper, especially this size ship, when uh, you're not a maritime operator yourself, you're going to have to figure out ways what what happens when demand wanes. As we're about to talk about here in a few minutes, the yeah. building supplies starting to slow down a little bit uh, on the retail side. Mm. Um, I, I mean, you got any hot takes here about buying a ship? I mean, retailers buying ships to get their freight in? Somewhat. So I think this kind of goes into it. Always comes back to Amazon. So when we look at Amazon, they they really were innovative in being able to control control their supply chain. Mm -hmm. They have their own trucks and drivers, like they're 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 really kind of controlling their own ecosystem. So I think this is almost like an offshoot, and but only just like the exact same thing, but almost like a cousin of that model. And I think, like you said, it's only one variable of it all that you can kind of control. And there's so many other aspects that have to get fed into it mm -hmm. in order for this actually be a thing. And then you have to be really anticipating consistent movement and upward um, pressure on this, you know, need for these, these commodities in order to even make it worthwhile or, you know, worth the price or the investment. And that's one of the other questions I'm going to have for you a little bit later is what investments are being made now that are just for the now, but not <laughs> actually going to be, you know, meaningful or profitable or really reasonable Three years from now, it's like a huge, significant investment for an immediate problem, but not really a long-term solution for anything. Yeah, and obviously, it, if you're talking about spot rates on the maritime side, paying ten thousand dollars to get freight from uh, the uh, from China to North America's East Coast, which is where they're they're at right now, close to it at least, uh, that that makes it a little bit easier decision. Uh, of course, those are spot rates um, and not contracted rates, which Home Depot obviously has. <laughs> yeah. But but at the same time, uh, you know that's that's still relatively cheap in yeah. terms of operating a ship. A ship, you know, buying little pieces of it instead of the whole thing. Um, anyway, we'll see. We'll see if it works out in the long run. I'm sure they'll figure out a way to get. You know, once things start to slow down a little bit, it'll get better. So let's. Uh, you know, we've got something. I think today in today's whatonomics, where we discuss. Uh, you know. Something that we think you should know about, dive a little deeper onto it. Um, something that I think is very relevant to today, and it's a macroeconomic. It's a macroeconomic release. And so it's from the ISM. Mm -hmm. And I think most people are familiar with the ISM, the Institute for Supply Management. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I talk about the PMI, the Purchasing Managers Index. The one that doesn't get, I don't think, as much attention, and it deserves some attention, is the ISM Non-Manufacturers Index, which takes into account services. And so... Yeah. 
just like the ISM PMI is based around the number 50, anything above 50 is indicative of expansion, anything below 50 indicative of contraction. But instead of it being strictly for manufacturing, this is for services. So non-manufacturing equates to services for this PMI measurement. And this is one of the things that we have to kind of take a look at later on in this episode, but that's really going to be a, a talking point if this is shifting, if we're seeing a shift from goods to services. And in the latest ISM PMI services index, we saw that there was a reading of 64 percentage points um, showing that there is indeed uh, expansion happening with the services sector. And this has been happening for the last 12 months. We've seen this growing trend increasing and increasing. And this is one of those areas where, you know, it can, it, it there's pent up demand for this, if anything. We were just talking about pent up demand for goods and how long can that last? Of course, for American, we can keep on buying stuff. <laughs> I don't know if there's an end to that, but there is for sure a pent up demand for services. When you're looking at going out to eat, when you're looking at traveling, um, we're going to talk about airports, I think a little bit later on. This is an area that is hot right now. You're looking at employment needs for hospitality, different services, retail trade, anything like that. This is it. So why is this important to uh, to freight people out there that are that are moving freight in the transportation space? What is a you know uh, services obviously aren't directly tied to freight, but is it does it have some sort of connection indirectly? Definitely. So I think when you're starting to see this is going to be one of the talking points we're going to have a little bit later. Mm -hmm. We're seeing more services um, being inquired, right. used. <laughs> this is going to be a, a usually a takeaway from goods, mm -hmm. or we could just kind of keep running it up on both goods and services and see how much credit we'll get on those credit cards. <laughs> but we're starting to see those increasing services that can take away from the actual amount of durable goods that are going to be traveling throughout the country via freight. Um, services are actually also going to in include restaurants, things like that, as a service. Um, if those increase, that can be an impact for freight, especially for refrigerated trailers that are going to have to haul some of these food and beverages around throughout the country. There you go. Uh, the services just as important to monitor as the goods side, although it doesn't have a direct connection to the freight market. So speaking of the freight market, let's go ahead and kick off our discussion. Uh, you know, we got to set the table first. Yes. You know, the question of the day is, will the bear wake up? <laughs> Are we going to go back to 2019 uh, style, which wasn't really a bear market totally, but for the, a lot of the, the operators out there, it absolutely was uh, in the carrier space. Uh, we saw the highest number of, you know, uh, fa failures, business failures on the carrier side that we'd seen in many years uh, since the re the Great Recession uh, period. But, you know, it, it, we're not seeing early early signs of that just yet. Like we, we talk about 2018 as kind of this first year, this first period of time, 2017 into 2018, this first period of time where we saw uh, a market that was as hot <laughs> as the one we have today. Uh, if we pull up our first, uh, our first chart here to kind of illustrate this, the outbound tender volume index paired with the outbound tender rejection index. This one really tells the story. Uh, you look at that increase, that obviously jump a year ago uh, and tender volumes and tender rejection rates just surging uh, into unprecedented territory. Uh, the tender volumes themselves, of course, the demand side indicator of what's happening and the percentage of the, that tender volume being rejected is there in the orange line as tender rejection rates, of course, have been very, uh, you know, they've been bouncing a little bit over the first part of the year, but we're seeing a trend of slowly decline, uh, slowly declining rejection rates, uh, which is, you would think, an indication that capacity is easing a little bit, loosening, um, 
you know, there's some signs here that demand is, you know, early in the year uh, through January, February, we saw demand really, really trail off. And then that winter storm that froze Texas, God help them. Down in Texas, they got uh, the heat went off. And then for whatever reason, this inspired shippers to start shipping freight across the country. Yeah. Like in mass. So what we thought was kind of an easing and it looked like a 2018 style pattern. Uh, where we saw this, uh, the freight volumes decline and tender rejection rates come down with it, all of a sudden we're back at it. Yeah. And now we're in the summer months, the peak season, uh, really the first peak season of the year where we normally see one in the summer and one in the winter. Uh, rejection rates slowly declining. We've got a little bit of an uptick there uh, with the tender rejection rate there at the very end, uh, back up over 23%. Tender volumes, though, they're not changing. Right. That, to me, is the, the demand side of this equation is staying extremely strong. So, uh, you know, yeah, those tender rejection rates may be coming down, but they're not necessarily coming down because of the demand side pressure easing. Now, the next chart I want to pull up here, uh, this is the contract rates compared to the tender rejection rates. So tender rejection rates, they're in green now instead of orange. Uh, this is our van contract rate per mile initial report. This takes invoiced contract rates that have been paid uh, and puts them in an average, seven-day moving average. Uh, and you can see the trend here. <laughs> rates have been increasing significantly uh, since, la since last year. And they take these little intermediate inter intermediary bumps <laughs> every now and then along the way. Um, you know, and this is this, the trend itself is what's important because this can be manipulated or easily you know, influenced by length of haul changes. Shorter length of haul, the rate per mile goes up. Uh, longer length of haul, the rate comes down generally. Um, but this excludes minimums and things like that. But if you notice rejection rates coming down as contract rates are going up. Yeah. This right here explains, uh, you know, shippers are essentially paying a premium. <laughs> to get their freight moving. So demand is not going anywhere. This is, we have not, we may have peaked in terms of spot market activity, but the contract market is having its heyday. Yeah. Uh, the contract freight market's still running strong. Uh, and, and if you, that jump there in May, that early part of May, that was an 8% increase. You know what shippers got in return? Was that? About a 2% compliance increase. <laughs> like, so now their freight's getting rejected slightly less than one out of every four times, and they're paying 8% more for it. So they're, yeah. they're paying a premium for services uh, effectively. Um, now, the big question is, will this <laughs> come back to bite those carriers uh, later? You know, you talked about it with FedEx uh, when they're we're offloading customers right now. Yeah. Will that hurt them later? Absolutely, it will. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it absolutely is a fact. But in the near term, they have to make, you know, your horizon, your decision horizon has to be, you know, bound by this year. Yeah. Um, you know, there's certain long-term things you can do, but if you're going to upset 100% of your customers for 2%, you know, to save 20%, uh, you know, from being upset, that's not, you just can't do it. There's not a good all-around solution. And everybody at this point really has to recognize that, you know, you want to put yourself in the best position possible. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think so. Those are a lot of great points. Mm -hmm. First off, but I think one of the areas that we have to highlight for sure is very simple: the demand aspect of it all. The outbound outbound tender volume index; those volumes are steadily high. They're not decreasing by any means. They're not diminishing. We might see some downward movement in the tender rejection index, but that does that's not a doesn't show that there's any less freight moving throughout the country. There's not any 
less demand happening right now. And I think one of the great points you also made is people kind of being better positioned and being a little bit more efficient with how they handle this new, you know, volume. And I think that's going to be an area that may continue to kind of get a little bit more efficiencies worked out throughout the, you know, the months that we have coming up left in this year. And I think that's a really good point to highlight is just that the volume has not slowed down. The demand is still there. We see it moving in real time, near real time at least, uh, through sonar. And it kind of adds a little credence to that there's not a lot of slowing down right now. No, especially right now. Now, one of the sectors uh, that has been, you know, active and just woke up. So they this this bear market may not, or this aspect of the market may not uh, be ready to be bearish just yet. The industrial side, the manufacturing side, you talk about it. Your one of your favorite trucking indexes is the flatbed outbound yeah. tender rejection index of around thirty percent right now. The, but is the manufacturing side really just kind of trying to play catch up right now? So, that, you know, I kind of think about normally we kind of talk about manufacturing and production and orders as kind of a leading indicator. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm thinking about this new economy in terms of like, what is the consumer doing? Because it's really been a consumer driven uh, economic boom. Uh, is manufacturing kind of late to the game and just going to start playing catch up? Or is this something that may actually be leading in a way and help kind of? Yeah. Uh, keep things uh, elevated. Yeah, I think there is for sure an aspect of catch-up playing right now. Um, and if we're going to go back a couple of years to 2019. The end of 2019, I was calling for an increase in manufacturing um, coming up. As we saw, 95 copper goods, new orders gained some momentum towards the end of 2019, especially in December. Mm-hmm. Started to see some increase for uh, industrial production. And there was those those indicators, those, those stats that we're looking at, those um, the, the three-month moving average, the year-over-year, the quarterly year-over-year, started to kind of have that shift in momentum into an accelerated growth trend. Started to look at that, and I was thinking, like, okay, there's some momentum here. There's going to be a bright spot throughout 2020. Then, lo and behold, COVID shows up. And so <laughs> that kind of, you know, dashed a few manufacturing and um, activity. Their hopes and dreams. Hopes and dreams. Just uh, crushed. <laughs> just crushed right before my eyes. Yeah. Thanks, Rona. Yeah. And so we And they're that. also having employment concerns. Yes. I one mean, of the biggest, yeah. one of the biggest areas of employment concerns happening within manufacturing. So I think definitely think there is some catching up to do, especially as we look at one of the big markets that I think is on a lot of people's um, you know, headlines is lumber. And that yep. was one of the areas that was really kind of ramping up a little bit, uh, especially in twenty nineteen. There are a lot of issues with, uh, of course, if you've seen the latest episode of The Economy Lately Streaming, you'll <laughs> know some of those issues. I love um, that smolder you just threw at the camera. I got it. I got to get the smolder. It's not awake. But when we look at that, there were a lot of factors that went into that. And, you know, factories shut down because we were expecting that there's going to be reasonable Americans that were going to say, hey, I'm not going to need lumber. I'm not going to build homes. I'm not going to do these projects. And, of course, health reasons. But we saw that ease in actual production. We also saw that um, that demand came back in full force. And so we weren't able to kind of really keep pace with that. So I think right. that definitely happened, I think, with other manufacturing segments and areas. And so I think there is that that lag in effect. The other big limiter right now is commodities. When we're looking across the board, yeah. we see commodities, really not just lumber, but really across the board, with any kind of steel, um, metals, precious materials. Semiconductor is also a bigger one. That's not, I don't know if you classify that as a commodity, but many components go into it, so maybe it is a commodity. Um, but I'm looking at more so raw goods. 
really across the board, those materials really in um, a scarcity right now. And so that's going to also be a limiting factor of the amount of production that comes out and kind of put a little bit more headwinds in the pace of production for manufacturing right now. Yeah, so here's my hot take on the, on the manufacturing and industrial side of things. I think we are going to see, like, you know, problems really drive the economy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we may not like the problems, but we just had a huge problem yeah. <laughs> in this country. People couldn't get their stuff when they wanted it, <laughs> you know, and then we still have problems. So it's not necessarily, you know, the demand side stuff that's going to be, you know, important for this is as important for this manufacturing side. I think we're going to start to see a lot of people try to solve problems now. They're going to have been snake bit uh, by what we saw in terms of supply chain disruptions and com- commodities prices going up. They're going to start to develop ways around this uh, to hedge themselves against this in the future. And I think that is going to lead to kind of a secondary stimulus of our economic uh, situation. So, I mean, in terms of the manufacturing and industrial sector, the bear's going to hibernate <laughs> yeah. for a good bit. Uh, I, I think they have catch up to do. Uh, I think they also have some other uh, infrastructure builds that they're going to start, you know, putting into the economy. Those are going to be huge capital expenditures. Uh, it's going to drive freight volumes. It's going to prop this up. So we're not going to go back to 2019 volumes anytime soon, in my opinion, just because of this alone. Yeah. Uh, the manufacturing sector, industrial uh, side, did not have a lot to do during the pandemic. But now I guarantee you, especially the upstream people, are going to start trying to figure out, okay, we need to diversify out of China, mm-hmm. uh, find some other ways to source uh, goods, Right now, it's really only been, you know, to Southeastern Asia. <laughs> yeah. But I think that we are going to see this side have some more nearshoring, near uh, some more stuff, at least some developments uh, internally that we're going to see develop, uh, you know, that'll keep this economic growth in this sector going for a little bit longer and probably a little bit stronger than this consumer decide de- yeah. side will. Yeah, and I, I'll, I'll add on to that. And I think it kind of echoes back to the previous point of really analyzing what your just in time looks like. And so mm-hmm. I don't think it's gonna be as formulaic. I think it's gonna definitely have to be more individualized and really kind of use it and access it as what's right for me, not what is the industry standard. What were we bit on before mm-hmm. we had these commodity shortages? Do we try to get these commodities brought into our supply chain and yeah. like kind of control that aspect of it? Do we buy up a lumber yard just so we make sure that we have tree uh, lumber on hand or do we have excess lumber i mean home depot bought a boat they bought a boat, <laughs> they bought a so. boat. and so i don't think they'll adapt that whole mindset of we need to control different parts of our own supply chain but maybe take into mind uh, or to account how much excess inventory they have on hand for critical critical things that might be in short supply maybe instead of having two months of of supply on hand, maybe they have six months, you know, and they have to access each point, pain point that could potentially pop up throughout their supply chain. Right, but in those warehouses, that's something we talked about with with Dr. Rogers last week. So let's transition into the personal consumption of durable goods, and let's discuss this one. Uh, Let's bring up this chart. So this is the personal consumption of durable goods. (laughs) The chart set speaks for itself. Goods demand still off the charts uh, in April. Uh, this is a little bit lagging because we're just we just have April data here, uh, typical of that macroeconomic side. Yeah. But it takes some time to get it together. Um, this, to me, again, supports a long tail. <laughs> like this, this is record demand. 
still present as of April. It looks like we may start here in May, June to turn a corner a little bit. Um, time will tell, uh, but this looks like we may have peaked on the durable goods side. I mean, if you look at that growth, to me, whenever I look at data and I look to see, okay, how quickly did this accelerate? I look to see the same thing on the other end. Yeah, uh, that's one of the points you had at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. How quickly did it fall? Will be kind of indicative of how quickly it's going to rise once more. Yeah, so this looks like we may, I think in, in May and June, we're going to see a little bit of a either a flat or a de slight decline in this durable, durable goods sector. And of course, retail sales does support that to an extent. Um, you know, are we, I, but this, this to me has been the thing that's been fueling this economic boom. So once this starts to trail off, which it may very well do here in the next little bit, we're going to be reliant on uh, inventory buildup, you know, the restocking thing that, again, has not. <laughs> we haven't restocked yet. The demand is obviously exceeding all forecasts. Uh, so it's going to take a while to, to trail this thing off, especially on the freight side um, of things. So I think through the rest of the year, we're going to see demand stay relatively elevated. Now, how this mix changes, <laughs> you know, after that is, is very still much, it's very much in question still. But the personal goods, I feel like we've peaked here. Yeah. I feel like we're, this is, this is the, about the end of the consumer demand uh, exposure. Uh, your thoughts, do you agree or, or disagree? Yeah, I think for sure over the next reports that we come out, I think there will be some downward movement mm -hmm. um, for those personal consumption expenditures for durable goods. Durable goods, of course, being things that have a shelf life of three years or more. Um, so it can be anything from your toasters, ovens. Um, it's not going to include clothes, so clothes are going to be a non-durable good. Um, including with other food Which products. Which shocked me, like by that. the way, when yeah. I found that out. I was <laughs> like, I thought they were. Non-durable goods. Yeah. <laughs> so essentially you can eat them. I think mm -hmm. that's what the government's telling us. <laughs> but we're looking at these measures. I do think that non-durable um, goods are going to start to come down a little bit. Um, I'm going to be looking for September to be a, a significant turning point as well. Um, potentially not just, so I think it's going to start tapering off throughout the year. Nothing too significant and nothing too substantial. I think we might see some sudden drops that might get blown out of proportion on certain headlines. Yeah. But I think as we get to closer and closer to September, that's going to be a little bit more telling because that's when those bonus benefits start to expire on a federal level. Already we're seeing, I think, well over uh, 20 states individually kind of start to peel those back on their own and say we're not doing these bonus benefits anymore, those additional $300 on a weekly basis. Um, in order to kind of help urge and push and encourage people to get back into the workplace. But that's going to be federally repealed or expired, I should say, in September. So I think after September, that's really going to be the true test of, of course, if there's no more, you know, extensions. Right. Um, how strong is our economy right now or how significantly or how stable are our consumers right now to stand on their own two feet? Um, without additional help or benefits from the government. They're going to go back to work and then they're going to have money again because there's job openings all over the place. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more bearish on the consumer uh, demand side. You're, you're a little, I don't know, I, I get a sense that you're a little, you're staying kind of flat uh, with, the, with the consumer side. I, I'm a little bit bearish only in the sense of how the consumer is going to react once. So I think right now is a perfect time for consumers to get back in the workplace. Right. Those consumers that get back in the workplace now are going to be in a great position. I'm going to be the dad. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be in a great position. Yeah. Go get a job. By the end, third, fourth quarter. Yeah. 
fourth quarter, I think it might be a little bit of a different story because talking to a recruiter friends all the time, mm-hmm. there this always goes back and forth where it's um, a hiring market versus, um, you know, the, the ball is kind of in the employer's or in the employee's court. And so right, right now the ball is kind of in the employee's court. They are feeling confident. They're quitting. They're going left and right, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to last for some time. But I think after a while, it's going to shift in the other way where, you know, people are going to be hitting up and reaching out to recruiters. Hey, do you have anything for me? I'm looking. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of roles that are going to get filled early on. And as some of those demands start to kind of wane a little bit, where they're, you're going to might see some of those job openings start closing because, right. hey, we don't actually need that anymore. We're filled some of those roles and we actually don't need to expand here anymore. Back to work. You're only hurting yourself uh, <laughs> and, and, and the economy in the future. Uh, so... To me, the consumer side, I'm a little bit more bearish. It's still got a long tail to it. I'm not saying that things are going to collapse and it's just going to go away. But I think that uh, if you are a carrier out there that's hauling some of these, you know, electronics, uh, furniture, um, things of that nature, you are going to have to be a little bit more cognizant of this side of the economy. If you're an industrial hauler, I think you've got a little bit more legs under you uh, in yeah. terms of this whole market. Uh, we saw this, the economy really have a bifurcated uh, rise uh, or increase. Uh, and now I think we're going to see the same thing on the other end as the consumer goods drop faster than the industrial side. So the business investment comes back online as people are starting to reorganize. And that's the big takeaway here is I think that, yes, there is a little bit of bear waking up on the consumer durable goods side. And one of those reasons is the next point I want to uh, address here. Uh, services yeah. coming back. You know, it's they're coming back. People don't have, I mean, yeah, they, they've got some money right now. They're not taking those jobs just yet. But the demand for services. And, and the big question here, obviously it's pent up. People are taking vacations like crazy. Uh, July is going to be a huge month for vacationing, uh, you know, coming up because it is one of the most vacation, it's the second most vacation month of the year, uh, next to Christmas, uh, and between Christmas and New Year's. So this to me is going to be a big telling point in the, in the freight market. We normally see a rise in tender rejection rates uh, into, uh, July, and then they kind of slide back down. Not last year because last year was, well canceled but <laughs> the uh, uh demand also comes back down in july because shippers aren't as active it's the first month of the quarter as you typically see uh this period of waning and if people are spending more money on services they ain't they're, they're not worried about you know stuff in their house my biggest question though is how does this service sector which is 70 percent of the economy in a normal year uh flow into the freight market because these service sectors didn't do anything last year, but they also, they deal with goods. They move stuff themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the restaurants, of course, move food yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and beverages. That, and we saw that transition into other aspects of the economy. So what do you think, do you think there's going to be some erosion here? Yeah, I think especially as you look at, like you said, one of the busier times to travel. Um, I traveled earlier this year and you would have never guessed that we were kind of tailing out of a pandemic. You would have think it was just like, you know, whoa, this is really packed for any time of the year or any right. year um, <laughs> for that matter. And so I definitely think that pickup is going to be a big thing, which kind of gets me back into employment because the <laughs> airlines and airports are hiring like crazy as well to kind of um, really support this increased flying, these increased services and things like that. So 
I definitely do think that uh, as we see these uh, increases in actual services um, happening throughout the country, there is going to be, I think, some erosion for sure. Um, let's pull up a let's pull up a chart. Uh, Kevin Hill actually helped put this together with uh, Caitlin Murphy this morning. Uh, the The chart is for the travel throughput, uh, just to show how people are. This is according to the TSA, uh, you know, checkpoint travel numbers. That blue line there is is where we're at right now in 2021. The, of course, 2020 is easy to pick out. <laughs> Uh, but the blue line there is where we're at right now, uh, according to TSA. We're almost, we're about 30% lower than where we were in 2019, um, according to the TSA. So, I mean, people were traveling a lot. We're, we're, we're close. Yeah. We got another 30% to, to cover here. Uh, this is telling me that not all that money is being spent on the services just yet. Further evidence that I think that we're going to see more erosion in that consumer goods side, mm -hmm. uh, because they're going to go out there once they they're going to they they're like I got to get out of this house. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I do think that the consumer goods, especially in the travel situation, eroding it even more so here over the coming months as we get into July and August as people take vacations before school starts, uh, we'll see that really take a a bite out of those consumer goods. So uh, here's the other thing. It could be both, not saying that um, there's a right or wrong, but it could be both that Americans can start spending more on goods and more on services. No, and no, no, you can't have both. Expending themselves. No, you can't have both. That's the American you, way. You've got to, you've got to have your cake. One or and the you have other. To eat it. No. <laughs> <laughs> One of the big things that happened um, throughout the pandemic, especially with stimulus package, increased jobless claims, and uninsured, uninsured benefits, insured benefits, I should say. Um, was that credit utilization began to come down and people started paying off credit card debt. And Look so I think there is more debt Everybody's for up. people to acquire. And everybody, so, no, everybody grew up. No, no one grew <laughs> up. The savings rate is higher. Mm -hmm. People have more money still. And they're probably in a better position with their credit cards. So I think a wild scenario that could happen here, this is all just game theory, wild mm -hmm. scenario that can happen here is that people don't slow down too much on the durable goods and they don't slow down on these services, and they just have a wild American summer and Christmas season just spinning on both ends of that savings and use, utilizing more of those credit cards because they paid down quite a bit of debt throughout the pandemic thanks to some of those stimulus packages, and a lot of them still have money left over. So I think there might be a slight possibility. I'll say maybe 15% chance that they do both. All right. All right. So that's the American way. Here's the last last part of the show today, the last segment that we're going to cover this on before we get to our question of the day or debate anomics is when this market like cools off, which yeah. it will, it's, I think, I think everybody can agree that we are going to come out of this phase of economic growth. Uh, and it's, 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 it may not come all the way back down to a 2019 level or a recession or anything like that. I mean, we'll, we'll probably have a recession at some point in the future, just not in the near term, mm -hmm. uh, here over the next year, uh, are we going to see some sort of uh, stabilization that is reminiscent or shows us, you know, that we went out and overbought? There's got to be some sort of hangover somewhere. Home Depot bought a boat; they don't need the boat anymore. Carriers bought a bunch of this equipment; they don't need it. They they overbought because they the demand falls off. What does this look like? 
is this is this a 2019 style economic apocalypse for carriers and and shippers who have overspent or is this really just a ret- a steady kind of return to uh, a stronger flow of things like Dr. Rogers talked about last week where he thinks we're going to have some legs under it. Yeah. Yeah, I think um for sure I'm going to lean on you for mm-hmm. rates um <laughs> for sure on that aspect. But I think from my my uh, perspective I think there will be some easing. But I think the new baseline will be higher than what it was before. So with home prices, that's one of my similar takes is that we have, we are seeing increased home prices and there's no, there's no way around it. Like some of these prices shouldn't be where they are. Right. Um, I think there might be some slight retreat for some of these home prices and what they're going for right now. But I don't think they're going to come crashing down. I think there's going to be a new baseline right. um, for new homes or which is actually homes. a very good thing yeah. I, I don't think anybody can handle you know five percent inflation yeah. <laughs> like all yeah. time uh, yeah. so i do think that that's okay uh i just think that if people were to overextend their investment uh i think the better investment isn't necessarily in buying a bunch of boats and trucks but changing your infrastructure to be more adaptive and that was going to be my other question for you is that infrastructure investment for now mm-hmm. versus you know does this make sense three, four, five years from now? Yeah, yeah, no, no. Widen the widen the lanes. Yeah. <laughs> don't buy the car. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, don't buy another car. Widen the lanes so you can get through it, or at least have something that's a little bit more malleable. Yeah. Um, you know, something that you can flex up more easily on because that's the most difficult thing for an operator out there to do is flex up and down. Uh, that's why it is such a tough business to be in, and of course, shippers are feeling that pain right now as they pay a premium. Uh, for a lot of this capacity that cares were not set up for because we had a big sell-off in mm-hmm. 2019. So hopefully you learned something today, but we've got to get on with business. Yes. And my question to you, Anthony Smith, and I know the pandemic has been tough on lots of people, uh, certainly nothing to take lightly, but there are certain aspects of this pandemic that were actually pretty decent. Yeah, Is there something that you miss about us moving away from this. Watching some shows for the first time All and right. the conversation around those shows. So those initial conversations around Tiger King. Yep. Or I'd even watch it yet. You might give me something by you know, some some gruff for this, but The Last Dance. Haven't watched yet, but the conversations behind them. I mean when those you first initially saw them and they first initially hit, I think <sighs> there's still some talks for streaming platforms like, hey, did you see this? Have you watched this yet? Those conversations around those streaming platforms really coming hard with those new shows is something I might miss. What about you? Traffic not being there. Mm. I have been driving in uh, for the last bit and traffic is now, I'm very aware of it. Uh, it, it, was, it was wonderful driving <laughs> in and nothing being in my way. Mm-hmm. I absolutely don't miss that whatsoever. So I heard there's less traffic accidents <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> It's keeping you safe. All right. Well, thank you guys for watching this week. Make sure to check us out every Thursday at noon. Freightways TV app. Download it. Freightcast. Get all the podcasts that we offer here at uh, Freightwaves. And have a great week. And I'm sure, Anthony, drink more water. (laughs) Call your parents. Drink more water. Call your mom.